Hello friends, and welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. Shout out to my friend and the newest patron on my Patreon page, Sophie. Thank you so much for your kindness and support. Y'all remember what I said last time in the story of David and Goliath? That the story says the Lord was with David, but also that the Lord had left Saul and Saul was being tormented by an evil spirit? Well, you might remember me saying there was more to the story. It didn't start there, and it didn't end there. Before we get to the rest of David's story, we're going to go back to when the saga of Saul starts. Before David was anointed, before Saul was made king, Samuel was leading Israel as their prophet. You remember Samuel, the one God talked to ever since he was a boy? But Israel was begging for a king. You ever have your younger brother or sister or sibling say, Mom says you need to do the dishwasher. And, um, and mom didn't tell you, and this sibling lies a lot, so you didn't do it, and you got in trouble? And then later, maybe, maybe your brother's like, mom said we can all have ice cream, so you have to get me some ice cream. So you get him some ice cream, and you eat it, and it turns out he was lying, and you get in trouble for that? I really hope your mom isn't like that, and I hope you don't have a sibling like that either, because, I mean, it's kind of annoying. But I sort of wonder if that's how everyone felt about Samuel, although he wasn't a liar like some people I know. In fact, if they had proof that a prophet was a liar, they'd kill him. You might remember that from last week, too. Still, Samuel wasn't going to live forever, and they didn't want to be lost in confusion waiting for a new prophet when he died, because the prophet was who told them what God wanted them to do. They already knew that Samuel's sons were jerks. They were cheating and they were taking bribes and settling decisions in favor of people who gave them bribes. So they did not want Samuel's sons to lead them. And Samuel's really offended. He feels like they rejected him since they don't think he's enough and they want a king instead. Even though they know, he knows they know, that he's getting pretty old. So Samuel tells God, the people want a king. And God's like, don't you be offended. I'm offended. They're rejecting me, not you. After all, I'm your boss and I'm the immortal one here. You know, did you forget? But the Lord tells Samuel, go ahead and make a king. But they're going to have to pay taxes, he says. And the king will make a lot of their sons join the army and make a lot of their daughters be servants. Hope they're happy with that and tell them if they don't like it, I am not going to listen to them complain about those taxes. I I feel like interjecting here, they already did pay something kind of like taxes to God, but maybe this was going to be extra taxes. I don't know. Anyway, maybe that's what the people were thinking too, because they are very certain that they want a king. Besides, other nations had actual human kings to lead their armies and lead the people, and they wanted to be like those guys. He says to Samuel, I'll send you a man, and he's going to be the king. And this guy, Saul, is wandering around with a servant looking for his dad's missing donkeys, and they can't find them. They go all over, they go to all these different towns, and in their search, they come to a town where they've heard a rumor that there's a man of God, like a seer, or a word you know by now, prophet. You'll never guess who this seer was. You'll, you'll probably guess. But Saul doesn't want to see him because he doesn't have so much as a snack to offer as a payment. You can't just ask a guy a question, you, you have to pay him. Fortunately, his servant has a tiny bit of money in his pocket. So they find the man and they're like, uh, hey, are you the seer? And God says, oh yeah, this is the dude I was telling you about. And Samuel's like, yes, I definitely am the seer. And it just so happens there was a big feast happening that Samuel was at so he could bless the food. And he was all in the most important spot. And he's like, oh, by the way, because I'm a seer, I happen to know your dad's donkeys are already found, so don't worry about it. And he gets people to fix him a plate. 
The Vicks saw the plate with the best food that Samuel told them to set aside. And there's like 30 people there all wondering, who's this, t- this tall, handsome guy? You remember when Samuel was checking out all of David's brothers who were tall and handsome and God said he was looking at the heart? Well, that was a bit of a snide little jab God was doing against Saul and also against Samuel, who'd anointed Saul king. See, Saul was handsome and tall and brave and hardworking back then, too. And God, despite being against the idea of any king other than himself, I mean, why were they not satisfied with him, the invisible king who only talked to a few prophets? Well, anyway, despite that, he actually seemed pretty impressed with Saul and his impressive height, potential for good leadership skills, and good looks. So he told Samuel that Saul was the one, but it wasn't time just yet. So the next day, Samuel takes Saul aside, and Samuel predicts the future and tells Saul what to do. Samuel sort of has future vision, like Garnet and Stephen Universe, which you may have figured out by now. Basically, he tells Saul, you're going to head home. Someone's going to meet you and tell you the donkeys are found, but I already told you about that. Then you're going to meet people, and he describes those people and what they'll do. And you'll see prophets and Philistines, and God's going to be with you, so you're just going to have to go with the flow on that one and do what your hands think you're supposed to do. You'll feel like a whole new person. Then you're going to go to this certain place where exactly one week later, I'll meet you because of reasons. That's like a long list of instructions. Maybe they're testing his listening skills. And then the story goes, God gave him another heart, and Saul's like a whole new person. Everything happened just like Samuel said, and Saul starts prophesying like he's a prophet too. And then we get, when he gets home, he tells his family about meeting Samuel, but he doesn't tell them there's anything else about to happen. So they call this big meeting of all the tribes, and they cast lots to find the new king, which is sort of like drawing straws or rolling dice or picking a card. And by lot, they narrow it down, asking God and casting the lots until it gets to Saul's tribe, and then it picks Saul's family, and then it picks Saul. And they're going to make him the king, but they can't find him. They aren't sure what to do, and they don't want to go through flipping coins to narrow it down among any place they might find him. So they just ask, uh, God, where did he go? And God's like, oh, he's hiding among the supplies. And there he was, hiding amongst everyone's baggage, and they got to drag him out and drag him in front of everyone. And they're like, how did a dude this tall even manage to hide back there? But man, he sure is tall and handsome, right? And everyone else only comes up to like his shoulder, which they think is impressive. And they say, well, God picked this dude, so he's the king now. Hip, hip, hooray! Long live the king! And Samuel does all this boring official stuff where he reads all these rules about kings. And, you know, probably no one's even listening. And then they celebrate and they give gifts and they all go home, except a few guys are grumbling because they don't see what's so special about Saul. Why does he get to be the king? And they don't give any gifts, which is apparently really rude in the circumstances. But Saul just quietly notices it. Well, there was this city in Israel, Jabesh Gilead, that this Ammonite, that's like another tribe that they're always fighting with, Ammonite has the city under siege. And you know what a siege is? It's like when you set up your army around a city, people can't go in or out. Eventually, they're going to need supplies like food. And the longer they wait to fight, the worse off they'll be. But apparently, they're really outnumbered. They don't want to just starve to death in the cities. So the men in the city of Jabesh all decide to surrender to this man. And he's like, oh, sure, I'll accept your surrender on the very simple condition that I cut out one eye from every man and disgrace your entire nation. <laughs> and the men of the city don't want to be under siege, but even so, I think you'll understand that they don't like these conditions. So they say, well, just let us send out some messengers to ask for help. If no one comes, we'll agree to that. And the Ammonite is like, sure. 
I think he thought nobody would help them since the, since Israel was so disorganized and didn't have a king to lead them, and it'd be even more humiliating for them to surrender after nobody had helped. Only Israel does have a king now, and he gets the message asking for help, and he's like super, super angry, and he decides to scare everyone into helping him, so he cuts, he cuts some oxen, you know, those big animals, he cuts some of them into chunks, and he sends the, the pieces of these animals all over the country saying that Saul is going to have people do this to the oxen of everyone who doesn't follow Saul and Samuel. Well, then you remember how the Lord was with Saul? So he made it so the threat was really effective. Like if you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you have a really good intimidation buff. So everyone goes to help Saul so that he won't take out his anger on them. So Saul gathered up like hundreds of thousands of men this way. And they sent a message. They sent a message to the city of Jabesh and told them they were coming. Then the city of Jabesh did something kind of clever. They said, well, nobody's coming. We'll be officially surrendering to you tomorrow. So the Ammonite army was camping all peacefully when Saul's army of hundreds of thousands rushed into the camp and attacked and defeated them all, leaving only a few survivors straggling around on their own in the wilderness. And then everyone was really impressed with Saul's leadership skills. And they're like, who were those guys who said, why should Saul be king? We're going to kill him. And Saul's like, no, none of us will die today. Today is a day to celebrate. So nothing happens to the rude dudes. And everyone feels pretty excited. And they're really happy that they have this new king to lead them and organize them and lead the army. And they don't have to surrender to those mean Ammonites anymore. And they have a big party with lots of food. There's probably music. There's dancing. And they do a whole other ceremony to make Saul king. Kind of like when people who are already married renew their vows. And I think Saul's feeling pretty good and pretty confident. He's been made the king twice now. But you, you already know that God ends up mad at him. So he's the king for 42 years. And he has some kids and he probably gets a lot more oxen. And then uh, Samuel retires, but he's still hanging around. I mean, he's still in the story a lot. So maybe he's just working part time now. Anyway, there's been lots of battles with the Philistines and Ammonites and all these other groups of people fighting over the land and resources. They keep stealing things from each other. And anyway, there's going to be another really big battle. And Saul knows a battle's coming. He knows there's going to be a fight. And he's been waiting at this point. This is far in the future. And he's been waiting a week before the specific battle that's going to happen for Samuel to come and offer a sacrifice to God. So people in a lot of different cultures used to offer sacrifices to God. They would offer meat and they would burn the meat. Or in, in, um, in Greece, that people would pour wine out on the ground before an adventure or going on a voyage on a boat or something like that. In Jewish tradition, there were a lot of rules about who could make the offering. Like anyone could bring an offering. They could bring a dove or they could bring uh, a cow or a sheep, but a priest needed to actually do the offering. Uh, And that's different than a lot of cultures where people could just, you could take an offering to a priest, but also you could just offer something yourself at whatever party or dinner you were having. But in in Israel, you had to be you had to be a person from a specific family in Israel. And Saul wasn't, but Samuel was authorized to do the sacrifices. But Saul really wanted some help. And Samuel had said he would come and Saul had waited until Samuel was supposed to get there and he wasn't there. And he's really worried. He's like, I'm going to have to fight the Philistines without doing the sacrifice to ask God for help. 
and I'm not sure we can do it. I need God's help. So he decides he's going to go ahead and make the sacrifices, even though he's not really supposed to do that. And just as he finished making the sacrifice, the smell of the, the meat, cooking meat, is still hanging around the air. And Samuel comes up really angry. And he just, he yells at him. And he's like, you've lost favor with God because you didn't follow the rules. That is disrespectful. And because you disobeyed, God is going to choose someone else to be the king after you. And your son's not going to be the king the way, you know, usually a monarchy gets passed down from father to son. After that, Saul is still the king. He tries to do everything right. He wins a lot of battles. He leads for many years. He thinks he's doing okay, probably. Maybe he hoped God changed his mind. But uh, then something happens, and he disobeys one more time. See, he wins a battle, and he's supposed to win the battle. He's supposed to kill all the people they captured. He's supposed to kill the king. He's supposed to kill all the sheep that they captured. He's supposed to destroy everything because God says, these people that you're, defe- that you're defeating are so evil, you need to destroy all their stuff. Some of the stuff, the men are like, hey, we should hang on to some of the sheep and make a sacrifice to God. So he does, he decides he's going to do that. He's going to make the sacrifice because the men really want to. And he's like, hey, you know, sacrifices are good. Even though you remember the rules about sacrifices are pretty particular. So Samuel comes and Samuel's like, um, why do I hear sheep? Why do I smell cooked meat? It's basically a repeat of last time. He tells them that God has rejected him as king. I mean, I guess maybe you thought he couldn't get more rejected than he already was, but maybe God had to break up with him twice since he'd been made king twice. God tells Samuel, I'm definitely picking a new king. This king will obey me this time. This is going to this is going to turn out different. And then Samuel was really brokenhearted because things didn't work out with Saul. And he never went to see Saul again for the rest of his life. That's actually where the story of David gets to start. Samuel's been crying like his heart is broken about Saul. He's crying into his cereal every day. And God's like, stop being sad. I promised I'd get you a new king, a better king. Well, that basically brings you up to speed on Saul's life. Next, he hires this teenager as an armor bearer who plays beautiful music. The guy turns out to be a hotshot giant slayer. And then this kid, David, the son of Jesse, comes to live with Saul. But Saul's pretty hurt by God rejecting him. And he's constantly being worn down because God didn't only reject him this time. God also sent that evil spirit to torment him. So he's constantly angry and sad and depressed and paranoid. So meanwhile... He gets David, and David plays the music on his lyre, and it makes him feel better. So his only solace is David, who is also the kid who people are secretly planning to make the new king. I can't imagine how that could ever go wrong. That's sarcasm. Tune in next time. We're going to take another jump back in time and tell the story of Saul's son, the brave and daring Jonathan, and his friendship with David and how everything goes once these three heroes are all living together. For now, thank you so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Here's a final thought to ponder. If people wanted to make you the king, would you be excited? Or do you think you would hide behind the supplies? I absolutely know what I would do. Anyway, don't forget to find me on Twitter or message me on Patreon. Find me on Facebook. If you have any questions or comments or art or you want to answer the questions I've been asking at the end of the podcast these last two weeks, as always, a text version of the story can be found on Patreon. And if you support the podcast for even just $1 a month, you get some cool perks like early access 
and extra blog posts. Also, please don't forget to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That'll help a lot more people find our stuff. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, Star Child. <laughs>